Welcome to the Biblical Parenting Podcast. I am Dr. Scott Taransky here with Elena Svetslot, and we are grateful to be with you. You see, we're very interested in helping parents understand a heart-based approach, and that applies to children of any age. We've talked about the age groups, but we've talked about specific challenges that children face. You can take this approach and apply it to all kinds of things. We want to zero in a little bit more on teenagers today. Welcome, Elena. I'm glad that we could be together to do this. Hi, Dr. Scott, and welcome to everyone who's listening to this episode. Indeed, um, some special focus on uh, teens and adolescents uh, age today. Last time we spoke about the first a, a stage of development in adolescence, one of the three. And today we will continue with the second stage. And Dr. Scott, why don't you get us started and tell us a bit more about what that is and how does it manifest itself in teens? Sure. The first stage of adolescence, as we said in our last session, goes between 12 and 16 years of age, give or take two years. And it's characterized by emotionally driven decision-making. Children make decisions based on how they feel instead of based on logic. But when they move into the second stage of adolescence, which goes between the ages of 16 and 20, give or take two years, then in this stage, they focus on or they develop a mission-oriented view of life. That's what characterizes stage two. Now, what that means is that a child starts adjusting their own behavior because they now have a a vision for their future or they have goals about what they want to do. For example, a child might uh, stop eating junk food, which is what they did in the first stage of adolescence because it made them feel good. And now they start eating healthy because they want to be a more healthy person. So that's the second stage of adolescence kicking in. I want to be healthy, or I'm going to now study because I want to go to college. Um, Those kinds of things are characterizing the second stage of adolescence. So when children start to focus on the purpose of, of their lives or what they want to do in their future, then good things can happen. And it doesn't always have to be reasonable. I had one young man I was trying to help him move from the first stage to the second stage of adolescence. I asked him, what do you want to be when you get older? He says, I want to be the CEO of Apple Computer. And I said to him, that's great. What are you doing now that's going to help you to get there? Uh, Because what you want to do is you want to be a person. If you're going to be the CEO of any organization, you want to be a person who's self-disciplined, a person who knows how to work hard, the person who's thorough, the person who can persevere. Those are qualities you want to develop now. You can develop those right now in your family. In fact, your family is an excellent learning place for you to develop what you need in order to move toward that. Now, I never know whether a child's, you know, what they're actually going to become, but I do know that when children start focusing on something that they're going to become, then it helps them to go through today without getting caught up in a lot of the emotionally driven decision-making. So that's what makes it the second stage of adolescence. There's a lot of parts to that, but it can create some tension in the home as well. So we're going to spend some time talking about that. But maybe I should talk about, I I don't know if we're going to spend a whole session uh, podcast on the third stage of adolescence, but let me just allude to it right now. It goes between age 20 to uh, 25, give or take two years, and it's characterized by launching. In this stage, a young person then becomes more independent. And there's a lot of parenting things we can do to help them to be able to manage their money, uh, be able to have a job, be able to um, handle their medical decisions and other decisions appropriately 
all of the things that characterize a person's ability to manage adulthood are learned in this um, third stage of adolescence. So that's just want you to know, I don't want you to leave you hanging. That's the third stage. We're going to focus in on the second stage a little bit more and guide you through some ideas that will help you. Yeah, I really find fascinating the fact that we can linger so long in adolescence. You know, I would have thought that by, <laughs> by 20, we're quite of independent, but it's, 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 um, um, it's an interesting thought for parents to consider that their children need their help much more probably they are, that they are maybe thinking. So yes, let's focus on the second stage, Dr. Scott, and discuss what I would like to, to, for you to share more with us is um, you talked about some tension and, and since the child is now or the adolescent is now uh, focusing on the future and on things that they would like to become, they would like to be, how can we as parents best, best facilitate that? How can we you know, uh, uh, nurture that for them whilst in the same time providing the guidelines that we need and, and some of the, you know, learnings that they need to have at this age and given all the challenges in the society and all the things that they're exposed to. Yeah, I would say, first of all, that the, the process of releasing children to their own independent decision-making uh, takes time. And so we can't just instantly say, well, we're going to let children experience life and, uh, and learn through natural consequences. So I find that sometimes parents during the adolescent years will say to a, a child, um, look, I'm not going to help you with your schoolwork. Either you're going to do it and you're going to uh, pass or you're going to fail. Well, the problem with that is that natural consequences help children who are internally motivated. They don't really help a child who's not internally motivated. So if a child does poorly in school and is internally motivated, they're going to say, whoa, I got to get my grades caught up. If a child stays up late at night and then does poorly on a, text, a test the next day, then that child will say, wow, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to study harder because they're internally motivated. But if a child doesn't have that internal motivation, then just relying on natural consequences doesn't complete that training inside of a child's life. They need more parental control. Natural consequences are a tool that we use in parenting, but so is more parental control. And knowing when to use one or the other is very important. The parent who says to a child, I'm just going to let that child um, uh, uh, experience the consequences of their poor grades makes a serious mistake because most of those children don't learn how to do better in school or get better grades because many of them aren't internally motivated. What happens is they just learn to adapt or manipulate. They learn how to define themselves more as poor students or, or students that don't, they don't like school or school isn't for them. And so unnecessarily, they fail. And they, uh, that failure doesn't produce the results that are necessary. A child needs more training. And so parents have to be more involved. So keep in mind that you do have to be more involved in a young person's life as they're growing in order to help them to be successful. Yeah, very valuable, very valuable um, advice there. Indeed, I think at this age, teens can be really vulnerable um, and in their own desire to prove that they can do it on their own and in parents' desire to let go and give that freedom of, you know, um, some things can go wrong and we can mismatch their needs 
and they can over perhaps see their input as um, too much for what they can do. So thank you, Dr. Scott, for sharing that. I think that's really crucial for parents to, to remind them, themselves of. How would you coach a parent who, um, who would like to, uh, who doesn't have a child that's internally motivated, who's, you know, let's say their, chil- their child is um, going through some challenges. How would you coach them to um, train their children at this age? Um, how, you know, what would, what would we have them do? What would we have them practice that they can learn and they can get better? Yeah, I would say that all children internally motivated. Some are just internally motivated in the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that's true. <laughs> Let's Indeed. Let's suggest that some children are internally motivated to have fun. In other words, they believe, this is an actual belief they have, that this stage of my life is the time when I am entitled to fun and my goal of pursuing fun is an important part of who I am. And anything that gets in the way of fun is an obstacle like school or chores or parental restrictions getting in the way, then I don't like those things. And so children have an adverse reaction to anything that isn't fun. Very, it's a very serious problem that I think sometimes as parents, we contribute to in uh, the work of our own children. I mean, my wife and I, as we saw that our children were entering into adolescence, we realized we were saying something to them that we didn't want to say. When they left the house, sometimes we would say to them, have fun, as if that was their, is that, that's what we're sending them off. If that's their mission, when they go out into the world, have fun. And when they come back, we ask them, hey, how did your day go? Did you have fun? As if that was the measurement of the uh, success of their day. And I would suggest we have to get rid of that right away. Uh, that perpetuates a desire inside of a child's heart that believes then that they, uh, their mission, their mission in life is to have fun. The child who pursues pleasure becomes addicted. Mm. It's not just the child. Anybody who pursues pleasure becomes addicted. Pleasure is not bad, but it is not what we pursue. We pursue a godly, righteous, self-disciplined, adult, mature life that follows Christ. That's what we pursue. Okay, when you're pursuing maturity, you're pursuing godliness, then pleasure often is the result of that. It's not the goal. When pleasure is your goal, you're in danger. And for many of our children, that is their goal. So we have to step in and we have to be more firm. Create more structures. Mm -hmm. We are going to find more opportunities for a child who uh, has this pursuit of something in their life. We want to provide for them more opportunities to, to do something different. We want them to have friends, so we send them to youth group. We want to encourage them in their studies, so we might get them a tutor, or we might sit with them while they're doing their studies. What we're doing is we're helping children to get through these difficult challenges, and we're realizing, we're saying to them, you know, you're, you're not taking math here because you're going to be a scientist, or you're not practicing your piano or violin because you're going to be a great musician. You're doing those because these are life skills. Not Mm -hmm. piano isn't a life skill, but perseverance is, Mm -hmm. and determination is, and attention to detail. Those are all all very important qualities that children need. So when a child believes that their goal in life is um, is to have fun, then they are in danger. That's one of the dangers of the first stage of adolescence. Now, of course, when a child moves into the second stage of adolescence, they begin to realize something different. So we start teaching this in the first stage. 
but we're getting excited about it when we see children being responsible in the second stage because now they take on this mission-oriented view of life. I have a purpose. I have a meaning in my life, and I then need to be more disciplined in order to get to that place where uh, I can manage myself and I can do things and so on. So we have to move away from this pleasure mentality that children have because it's dangerous. Let me just share, share the scripture. You remember the one about the four kinds of seed that fall mm. on the soil? Well, yeah. one of them falls on the thorny sto- soil, and it, the, the seed produces a little bit of crop. But what, what is it that um, chokes out the word of God in the child's, in this person's life? It's the pleasures of this world. Mm. It's the pleasures of this world that can rob any of us of the joy and the and the treasure that God wants for us in our lives. So that's, we have to move children away from that. And that's a big part of this second stage of adolescence. Yeah, Dr. Scott, I think it might be interesting to move into the third stage, um, unless you think we would like to, um, to, I think that would be a natural progress. I'm just so curious, having spoken about the second stage and, you know, getting to understand more of how teens uh, see things and how parents should focus uh, or should connect with them. Um, moving into the 20 and 20s, um, how does that change for uh, teens at this, at this stage? Yeah, it's very important if we're going to help children to become adults. So now we're in the third stage of adolescence. Now you have a 20-year-old who doesn't want to go to work, enjoys sleeping in or playing on video games or being at home. Or we have um, a girl who spent, wants to spend more time with her boyfriend than she does uh, want to spend time with the family. And then she's not being responsible in the way she's handling herself. And so we end up with problems. So there's all a host of problems because these children believe that they're adults now and that they can have the freedom to do whatever. So it's important then for us to help young people realize that they are not adults just because they turn 18. In America, when a person turns 18 or 21, or they, they are considered legally an adult. Mm. So they can now, you know, 21, buy cigarettes, or they can smoke, or they can um, drink alcohol or something like that. Now, um, when we have uh, children in that age, though, we have to help them realize that adulthood isn't determined by an age. It's determined by your life skills and your character. Are you able to manage a checkbook or, or at least manage your own finances? Are you able to uh, have the income to have a car? Or how do you handle paying bills? And, and uh, what do you do when you have a medical problem? How do you handle that as far as decision-making is concerned? How do you handle relationships? And, and, um, and how do you manage them in an appropriate way? All of those are the skills, the life skills necessary to graduate out of parenting a child to the adult-adult relationship that we want. So a young person doesn't have to move out, but they have to have the ability to move out of the home in order to be an adult where they're managing themselves better. So there's a lot of things we do, but one of the big tasks that we engage in, again, are limit setting and transferring responsibility. So the first thing I ask a parent is, who's paying for the cell phone bill? Mm. And they'll say, well, I have them on our plan. It's cheaper. And I say, cheaper is great, but it's not the goal. I just want you to know, and you're having trouble. Your daughter's not paying you the cell phone bill or, oh no, she's not even paying it at all. I said, well, first thing you want to do is you want to have your daughter pay for the cell phone bill because, you know, she is using the cell phone and that's, we're trying to transfer responsibility for bills 
to children so they can do that. And so um, they say, well, yeah, it's, it's tension producing. Every time I've got to go ask her for it, she rolls her eyes and I say, look, it's not hard. Here's what you do. You just say to her, okay, look, you're an adult now. I'm going to take you off our plan. You're going to have to get your own plan. Your own plan is going to cost you between 40 and $60. Okay. If you're on my plan, it costs you 20 to $30, but, but so that's okay. It's often better to put a child on their own cell phone plan. And here's why, because now someone else, other leaders and authority are parenting your child. Mr. Verizon or Mr. AT&T does a great job of parenting a person who doesn't pay their cell phone. They just turn it off. There's no arguing. You can argue as much as you want, but the firmness is very clear here. It's just turned off. You want it back on, you pay it. And so it's an excellent way to have other leaders and authorities involved in our children's lives. The other thing I suggest to parents during this time, of course, children either need to be at school or at work. We might finance them while they're at school, as long as they're doing well in their schooling and they're abiding by the principles. But um, allowing a child to live in your home and, and uh, when they're not um, in school, and you know, they'll get a part-time job so they can hang out with their friends and so on. It's just, it's not, that's not moving toward adulthood. And they have no need to. Why would they go out and get a job because everything's paid for them when they live at home? One thing I encourage parents to do is to work with the children to establish some responsibility. In other words, if a child's not going to um, school and they're living in your home after they're 18, they should be acting like a responsible citizen and paying for what they have. So having a child do that and be a part of those things is very important. So what we're trying to do is help them to, uh, to understand and work in that environment. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? I suggest parents say to their children, look, in a few months, starting, you know, whatever, two, three months from now, I'm going to have you pay $250 a month for living expenses. This doesn't have anything to do with rent. You know, I'm not charging you rent. I'm charging you living expenses, which is going to pay for your pay for your, uh, the internet use in our home, the hot water that you use a lot of, by the way, the electricity when you leave the lights on. It just, you're, you're going to pay for electricity. I'm not going to be bothered by the fact you leave the electricity on because that money's going into my pocket now. It's going into my bank account. So this, this particular form of income that's coming is an expense that they have for the food. I mean, you cannot live in life mm. with all of those benefits of the electricity and the heat and the air conditioning and the and the food and so on for $250, that's great. That's living expenses going into the parent's pocket. Well, your goal is to reduce the expendable income that a young person has because many young people have more expendable income than their parents do because they have no expenses. If you're going to help them move forward, you must increase that. And so that you're going to do that for a couple of years and then you increase it. And you're going to say, now we're going to take $500 and maybe we'll put $250 of that into a savings account for you. But your goal is to reduce expendable income so children go, have to go out and work or something. In our family, we have twin girls who had a hard time getting launched. And when they were 20, we told them, we're on the, you're on the launch them by the time they're 25 plan. We're trying to get you launched by the time you're 25. We got up to $750 that we were charging them every month. And every time we tried to charge them, I can't believe this. Nobody charges their kid for this kind of thing. I said, we're putting it into a savings account. That doesn't make any difference. Nobody charges their Well, finally... After we charged them $750 each for a couple of months, they said, dad, we're moving out. If we have to pay that much money to live in this house, we can do that on our own. I said, okay, I'll help you. Let's get the house. Yes, you can. And the reason we chose $750 is because that's what it costs in our community to live on your own, to pay those things. Mm -hmm. And so they moved out and we helped them. 
And so they were launched in that sense of the term launching. But we have to give our kids the ability to manage their own responsibilities and, and dealing with money is just one piece of all of that. I think at this age, parents have so much more um, adult responsibility for their children in the sense that all these skills that they are teaching their children are skills that are going to, well, probably hopefully they've been pressing on their children since they were young, but even especially now, such as paying for your expenses uh, or you know, being responsible for a lot, of, a lot more than you were before, it's really going to help teens um, and young adults to do better in life. I remember um, I had to start working when I was 17 and I was still living with my parents. And by the time I was 20, I already left home. And yeah, it was challenging, but it was a good, also a good lesson. And I believe that whilst parents, like you mentioned, are close to their children and helping them and supporting them, um, this can be, you know, this can turn into a very successful uh, move. So thank you so much for sharing that, uh, Dr. Scott. Um, we are at the end of our episode here, and I would like to encourage parents to go back and listen to the previous episode if they have young teens. Um, we shared some very uh, practical advice. Um, please continue to uh, listen to, the, uh, to our podcast and share it with anyone who you think might be uh, making uh, uh, use of this and might be uh, benefiting from listening. For those of you who listen, uh, thank you so much. Um, please make sure you subscribe so you get announcements every time there is a new episode coming. Um, for information, more information on Dr. Scott's ministry on parenting, please um, follow him on social media on biblicalparenting.org and for myself, elenashvetsla.com or Parenting is Hard Work. Thank you very much for listening and until next time, God bless.